while some said, He is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has, has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, he will do more signs than this man has done. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am going, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me. And where I am going, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there is a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They went each to his own house. Once again, we seek our God together in prayer. We want to pray for the Sovereign Grace Church in Auckland, New Zealand with Pastor Bala. Pastor Bala not only has the responsibility of this assembly there in Auckland, New Zealand, but he also has a widespread ministry among Tamil-speaking people around the world, including his magazine called Bible Lamp. And as I mentioned on Wednesday evening, God willing, Pastor Bala will be with us uh, October the 1st. He will be here in the afternoon service and primarily will be sharing more of the ministry, I believe. But we look forward to having him back with us again. That's October the 1st uh, in the afternoon service. So let us seek our God together in prayer, praying for this church and our brother there. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity of being able to gather together on the Lord's Day that 
corporately, we might worship you. And it is our desire that we worship you in spirit and in truth. That, Father, we find it our delight to be able to sing about you, to hear about you from your word. We count it a delight to be able to pray to you, recognizing our dependence upon you for all things, and even a delight to be able to give to you. And so we pray your blessing upon our gathering together, even to the end, that we might know more and more of your presence among us. Through the work of your spirit and by your word, may we be able to say that God was in our midst. And Father, how we pray that the spirit of God would so minister to us that the word of God would be living and powerful in our lives to the end that we would order our steps according to your word. And so we ask that you would come and meet with us. We pray, Father, that as we ask that for ourselves, we would pray for wherever your people meet, those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We, we pray for those men who have the responsibility of opening the word of God. We pray that you might bless their message to the end, that those who know you not may come to know you, and those who know you would desire to live and so order their lives according to that word. And we pray for our brothers and sisters there in Auckland, New Zealand, and thank you for the fellowship and the partnership that we have with people so far away, people that we will probably never meet face to face, and, and yet because we love you, we love to see your kingdom advance. We very much are in partnership with one another. And we thank you for that. And we would ask that you would be with them and use them. We pray for Pastor Bala, that you would help him to be a faithful shepherd of your people. Bless, we pray, the preaching and teaching of your word that goes on in that place week after week. And then, Father, we pray for Pastor Bala that you give him the needed strength as he labors, not only there in Auckland, but as he ministers to so many people around the world. Father, we pray that you'll bless his Zoom meetings with pastors as he seeks to encourage them. We, we pray that you'll bless the publication ministry of, of Tamil publications that go around the world. Bless the magazine that goes out, the Bible lamp, and use that. And then, Father, we pray that you would just be with our brother, even as later on in the year he'll be traveling to India and ministering there for several weeks. Father, we greatly anticipate him being among us. It will be good to see him again face to face. And we pray that we might be an encouragement to him and he to us as well. But Father, again, thank you for the relationship that we have with these brethren. Now, Father, we pray as well that you would be with us as a nation. As we look around our nation today, we see so much hatred, so much chaos, so much division, and, and so much an opposition to you and your word. Father, we would cry out to you, in the midst of deserving your wrath, have mercy upon us. May your word be our final authority. And may you provide us with leaders who have a fear of God more than they have a fear of man. Give us men and women to lead us as a nation who are men and women of integrity and honesty. Have mercy upon us, we pray, O oh Lord. We would ask this for the furtherance of the gospel, as well as we think of our children and grandchildren. Father, have mercy upon us, we pray as a nation. Forgive us for calling that which is evil good, and that which is good evil. Father, may you bring us to repentance. And so, Father, we pray again that you would draw near to us in our time together, especially as we look into your word. Again, we would ask that you would come and use it to bring glory and honor to your name as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Now before we come to open the word of God, take the hymns of grace. It's the other hymn book, looks like this, the hymns of grace, turning to 112, 112, complete in him, complete in thee. It's a hymn we learned several weeks ago. I think we've sung it one time, so I'm going to ask Rachel to play all the way through it once, and then we shall sing it together. 112 in the hymns of grace. This journey began, I was somewhat, the book of Deuteronomy began back in May of 2021. So we've been in Deuteronomy for just about two and a half years. And this morning we come to the final chapter. 
But not quite yet the final message. There will be another one yet this afternoon. We will finish it up then. This final chapter, there are two primary characters that we find. One is Moses. Moses is about ready to leave the scene. And Joshua is about ready to take over. You might recall, we read back in chapter 1 when we began this journey, these words. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness. And now we come to the end of his message to the sons of Israel. This section is not so much Moses's Moses's end, his end. Moses is well aware that his days on the earth are numbered. We read back in chapter 31 and verse 2 these words. Moses says, I'm 120 years old today. I am no longer to come and go. He recognizes the frailty of his own body as he becomes an old man. Back in chapter 31 and verse 14, the Lord appeared to Moses and said to him, Behold, the time for you to die is near. Moses is given a report, which most of us probably won't have, but the time of your death is near. I wonder if if God came to us today and said the time of your death is near, how would that affect your life? Would you live any differently? So Moses knows that he has only a short amount of time left on this earth. God has told Moses concerning these days that you have left, back in chapter 32 and verse 49, go up to this mountain of the Arabs, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jordan, and look at the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the sons of Israel for a possession. Then die on the mountain. And so we come this morning to this final episode of Moses' life. Follow as I read, starting in verse 1. Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Mizpah, which is opposite Jordan. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead, as far as Dan, and all of Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea. And the Negev, and the plain in the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And then the Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the words of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Beth Peor. But no man knows his burial place to this day. And although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dimmed and his vigor, nor his vigor abated. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Now Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom for Moses. And the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
Since that time, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants, and all his land, and, and for all the mighty power and for the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Who wrote this chapter? Well, if you have time and want to read the various commentators, there are some who believe Moses could have wrote this chapter himself. God, God could have given him the word to write this even before his death. Others believe that perhaps it was Joshua who wrote this chapter, and some believe it may have been Eliezer who wrote the chapter. So, so who wrote this chapter? I believe John Calvin answers that question well. He says this, It is not certain who wrote this chapter unless we admit the probable conjecture of the ancients that Joshua was its author. But since Eliezer the priest might have performed this office, it will be better to leave the matter of no very importance undecided. John Calvin says, you want to know who wrote the chapter? You try to think of nice things. There, there are certain things that you, you don't put in obituary that maybe you would like to put in obituary, but you don't. This is what God says about Moses in his last day. Since we will all stand before God one day, we need to live with His obituary of our lives constantly in view. What does God think of us? There are two things that I would point out in particular in these verses. The first one is this. The last experiences of Moses. The last experiences of Moses. And then we'll notice secondly what I've just entitled the last breath of Moses. The last breath of Moses. So, so as you look down through this passage of Scripture, the first thing I want you to notice with me is the last experiences of Moses. And, and there are three things in particular I would note with you from the passage concerning Moses' last day. The first is this. He experiences the desire to please. He experiences the desire to please God in his life. Notice what we read here in verse 1. Now Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo. Why does he do that? Why on his last day on earth does he go to Mount Nebo? Well, he does that because God has told him to do it. 
He, he goes there because that's what God said to do. Back in chapter 32 and verse 49, go up to the mountain of Arabim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab opposite Jordan. Even till his last day, Moses was determined to be obedient to God. He, we might say this, Moses finished well. Well, what a wonderful thing. That the last thing we notice about him is that he's obedient to God, even till his final days. There are some who have reached, whatever that means, the age of retirement. And so that means you're now living the life of luxury. No, not for everybody else. Some of you like it. No, you haven't retired yet. Sometimes as believers, I believe we think there comes a time in which we can retire and sort of coast the rest of our lives with God. I've been a believer for so many years, and, and, and I think about that point now where, where I can sort of coast along. There's never that point. May God help us to endure all the way to the end, to, to be found faithful to God and obedient to Him all the way to the day He takes us home. The warning in the parable of the sower is that there are some believers who, who look to believe for a while. They, they seem to walk with God and they seem to be enthusiastic about God for a while. And by and by, they, they fall away. We, we read in the Bible of such people who one time walked with us but no longer are they walking with us. It's a warning to each one of us to seek to be obedient to God with our lives until the very day God takes us home. Now, I do find some encouragement with Moses because we read about him that when he was 120 years old, that he was no longer able to come and go. It, it gives the impression that as you get older, there, there may be less things you can do that one time you were able to do. But the other thing we read about Moses is that his vigor has not lessened. And wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony at the end of our lives? Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody would say, you know, Pastor Walden isn't that young man that he was many years ago when he was once among us. But his vigor for the things of God has not waned. Has not waned. And so God tells him, go up to this Mount Nebo. And he tells him to go up there so that he's able to see what God has promised the sons of Israel. He will not go in. And then we will see in a little bit, you know the story, as to he's not going to go into the promised land because of his sin. He's not a perfect man, he's a human But, but he is a servant of God. And God, by His grace and mercy, allows Moses to at least look over the land. So the first thing we notice together concerning the last experience of Moses is his desire to please and be found obedient. The, the second thing we notice together that he experiences is the faithfulness of God. 
the faithfulness of God. Here in this section, starting at the end of verse 1 and going through verse 3, Moses not only hears of God's faithfulness, but he sees God's faithfulness. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan and all of Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea and the Negev and the plains in the valley of Jericho in the city of palm trees as far as Zorah. Here Moses sees... And he's told why he's able to look at all this. He he looks to the north and he looks to the south and across the plain. God is showing to Moses the promised inheritance. This is the land, he says. Can you imagine Moses on top? He sees that land. What a sight. And then he is told, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. This is the land that God promised to Abraham hundreds of years before. God had promised this land to the sons of Israel's forefathers. And now, hundreds of years later, there it is. Which which speaks of the faithfulness of God God keeps His Word. He may not keep it as quickly as we might like Him to, but God will always keep His Word. Can you imagine hundreds of years passing? I don't know about you, but just thinking about that, I can't help but wonder how many times would there be doubt Rising up in my heart. Will He give us this land? When will He give us this land? Will this ever come to pass? Did did, did He promise something He couldn't fulfill? A lot of people do that. Get ready, folks. We're entering into a political season. You're going to be promised all kinds of things. Many of them will not be fulfilled. But God is a faithful God. And God keeps His Word. And Moses is allowed to see that and to hear of that reality. Both. So what does Moses experience just before he dies? The God that he serves is a faithful God. He's a faithful God. What God has promised hundreds of years before is about ready to be fulfilled. Remember, the first sin came into the world because our first parents doubted the Word of God. The first sin was that of not believing what God says that He will do. Remember, Satan says, Oh, go ahead and eat! Isn't it good to look at? I'm sure it's juicy, it's going to taste good. Go ahead and eat! Because the moment you eat them, you will not surely die. Wait a minute. Who said they would die if they ate of the fruit? God said it. And Satan comes and tempts them by causing them to doubt God's Word. 
And we can find ourselves in circumstances and in situations where we know what the promise of God is, but we begin to doubt it. Haven't there been seasons in your life like that? All things work together for good. What possible good can come from this? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. This is the direction you're going to have me go? No good thing will He withhold from those whose walk is upright. This is a good thing. Have you not gone through seasons where you've questioned? This is good. There must have been times when Moses, dealing with a group of complaining, murmuring, doubting people, he would wonder, are we ever going to get in this land? And on the day of his death, God takes him to this mountain and he sees it. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that Moses left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Moses presses on not because things look rosy, things look difficult, but he has faith in a faithful God And therefore, though it seems strange to our ears, the Word of God says, as seeing Him who is unseen. And that's how we live our lives. What's happening around me today, when I see the chaos and the uncertainty and the evil and the immorality that's in our day, is God still on the throne? When there's so much confusion about gender and marriage and those sort of things, is God still on the throne? And He is. And He's carrying out His plan. And I can trust Him. And therefore, like the Apostle Paul, we can rejoice in the Lord And he says it again. Again, I say rejoice. So it takes us back to what we looked at last week. As believers, we ought to be the happiest people in the world. Because God's working out His plan perfectly. And we can trust Him. We can trust Him. The third thing that Moses experienced... Not only the desire to please God, the faithfulness of God, but thirdly, we see the position of honor before God. Moses experienced the position of honor before God. Notice what we read here. So Moses, the servant of the Lord. Moses was a servant. That's how God describes him. If I took a survey before we read the passage and I were to ask you, how would you describe Moses? There may be many things we could say about Moses. He's the greatest of all prophets. God spoke to Moses face to face. It was Moses that went up Mount Sinai and brought the law down. It was Moses who confronted Pharaoh and his men. But of all the ways that God could have described Moses, God says he's a servant. And for the believer, that title is a title of honor. It's a title of honor. This is how every believer should be described. God's servant. 
this points to the fact that as believers, we are preoccupied with something else. It's not about us. And His kingdom. We, we live for God and His kingdoms. Who do you belong to? Are we servants of the Most High God? Does He occupy a preeminence in our lives above everything else? This is how Moses would be remembered. He's a servant of God. He's not the master of Israel. He's a servant of God. We find that title used over and over again by the Apostle Paul. James says, James, a servant of a slave of God. So that should describe each one of us. So we see here in this text, first of all, the last experiences of Moses. But then secondly, notice with me what I've just entitled the last breath of Moses. In these verses, the reality that every man faces comes to Moses. The reality that every man faces comes to Moses. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, as you've heard before, it's better to be in the house of mourning than the house of feasting. He says it's better for you to go to a funeral than a tailgate party on Friday. Now, I have a feeling if I were to ask you, which would you rather be at, a funeral or a tailgate party? I would say a tailgate party. Now, you might be better than I am, and you may want to go to a funeral, but well, why? Why is it better for me to go to a funeral than to, than to some feast or some party or some festival? And, and, and the writer there says, because this is the end of every man. The, the one thing, and I, I, over my life I've done many, many funerals. And the one thing that I appreciate when I go to a funeral is this. Guess what? Those who are listening to me will experience this very same event unless Christ comes before. And so we read several things here about Moses' death. The first thing I would point out is Moses died according to the Word of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, it could mean that Moses died just as God said he was going to do. God told him, your death is near. And sure enough, one day Moses stopped breathing, his heart stopped beating, and he died just as God said would happen. Or it could mean Moses died just like God says, every man will die. The writer of Hebrews says, it's appointed unto every man once to die. There's a lovely topic, isn't it? At your next gathering, somebody just, just all of a sudden say, hey, you ready to die? 
and watch things come crashing down. Why, why do we need to talk about death? Because death is a reality. Death's a reality. Joshua said at the time of his death, he said these words, Now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. But why? Why does Moses die? Apparently, he still had a lot of energy. If you were to walk up and see him, and, and believe, I've been at many a deathbed. And often when you're at a deathbed, it, it's not a real happy, energetic time. It's very solemn. We read here that Moses' vigor had, had not lessened. Why did he die? Because the day you eat of that tree, you will die. And, and you, you need to recognize that when Adam and Eve heard those words, you will die, I, I don't know, but did they look and think, what does that mean, die? Nothing had ever died. What does it mean, we'll die? They never experienced any death. So what do they do? You know the story. They ate of the fruit. And they died. And you may say, wait a minute, they didn't die. God kicked them out of the garden. Oh, they died, my friends. They died spiritually. Death means separation. Death always causes separation. And the moment they disobeyed, they died spiritually. There's this separation between them and God. But sooner or later, they would also die physically. Because of one man, death came into this world. We're all sinners. So unless Christ comes again, one day we're going to taste death. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe how quickly life goes by. I mean, in a couple years, do I dare tell you, I'll be 70 years old. When I was 20, 70 seemed so far away. 70 also seemed like you had one foot in the grave. Young people, children, life passes by so quickly. A few weeks ago, we were, we were in Charleston, South Carolina, and, and while we were there, we drove by our first little house. We were this young couple. I mean, my wife wasn't even, tw don't tell anybody, she wasn't even 20 yet. Almost, not quite. And we pass by the little house. It's 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 not, you know, it's not going to be in any homes and gardens magazine. It's it's a little house. That's just there. But it was our house. And, and as we drove by it, we couldn't help but think, man, 45 years ago we were just beginning. We just got married. And time has passed. And here we are. And that's what life happens. It happens. And we die. And Moses died because he sinned. 
and we know Moses' sin. We at least know on that one occasion, more than that, but that on one occasion the meekest man in all the world became so frustrated with the people and their murmuring and complaining, he struck the rock in anger. And so Moses died according to the Word of God. And there's not a single one of us in this building this morning. Not a single one of us, unless Christ comes back, that will not taste death. The second thing I want you to notice about Moses' last breath was this. Moses died because God took him. God took him. We read here, although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dimmed and his vigor abated. It's a reminder that who knows when God will take us. Who knows when we're going to pass through death's door? Who knows what that will look like? And some of you may say something like this, I'm still young and full of life. Although Moses was 120 years old, we could say that about him. He was still full of life. He had vigor. He had energy. You didn't look at Moses and say to yourself, man, that guy's going any time. Who knows the appointed day? Some live to be weeks old. And some live to be a hundred plus old. Years ago when we went to Tecumseh Place there in Tecumseh, one of the ladies that by and by came to be a part of that and her husband came to Tecumseh Place first and then she by and by lived there was Mrs. Martin there in Tecumseh. She'd come to our services. I think she was like 104 or 5 years old when God took her home. I mean, that gives me another 35 years. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, it could. It could happen tomorrow. Last Monday, there were three men driving in a pickup truck. I'm not sure what their ages were, but looking at the work they were doing, asphalt and that sort of thing, I would think they were vigorous young men, broadsided, and died immediately. Who knows? I don't say this because I'm a Debbie Downer. It's not my purpose. But I want us all to consider the reality that Moses isn't an exception. Wow, Moses died. I didn't know. No, it's, it's the end of all men. And God has an appointed day. And I want you to be prepared for that day. I want you to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For, for the believer, death is not a, not a terrible act. Death is a blessed prophet to go and be in the presence of our Lord. And the third thing I would say about Moses' last breath is this. Moses died and sorrow came upon the sons of Israel. Moses died and sorrow came upon the sons of Israel. Verse 8. The sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. 
Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. They, death brings sorrow because death is separation. We're, we're separated from ones we love. And as believers, yeah, we, we sorrow as well. When a loved one dies, we saw, it's, 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 it's fine to weep because I trust you'll miss them. But we don't weep as those who have no hope. We have this confidence that if my loved one knew Christ, then all is well. But it doesn't mean I won't miss them. Weeping and sorrow is a God-given emotion. Now, now I know, as, especially as men, you know, we don't cry because we're men. I don't know where that came from. I, I, but I use the same thing. This week, I, I burnt my finger pretty bad. I mean, bad, bad. And it hurt so bad. And I looked at my wife and I said, if I wasn't a man, I would be crying right now. I got proof of it. But even our Lord wept. And there, are, there is a time to weep. And, and the sons of Israel wept. Because this man who has now led them for 40 years has been their, their mediator between them and God, has corrected them and instructed them and warned them, is now off the scene. He's gone. But he's not irreplaceable. God has another man, Joshua. And we'll consider a few things about Joshua in the afternoon service, but God has someone to step in and to be their leader. Moses, notice what we read about Moses here. It says, verse 10, Since that time no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. There, there's not been a prophet like Moses until... Who? Jesus Christ. Turn over just quickly in closing to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Speaking about Christ and exhorting His hearers to consider Christ. We read starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful he was faithful to him who appointed him, so Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. He says, listen, as great as Moses was, there's one more glorious. It's Jesus Christ. He, he has to explain it because they, they thought Moses was a great prophet. But he wants to point them to, to Christ, who's the greater prophet. He goes on and, and says... By just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all, of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was a faithful son over his house. You see the contrast? Moses was a faithful servant. Christ is a faithful son. Moses was in all his house. Christ is over all his house. Whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. Christ is greater than Moses. It's in Christ that we have forgiveness of sin. It's in Christ that we have acceptance with God. It is in Christ that we have this perfect man who never sinned, tasting death as well. Wait a minute, I thought death came because of sin. Christ 
tasted death because of our sin, not because of His sin, in order that we might know forgiveness and be accepted by God. Moses was a great man. Christ is the greater. Christ is our only hope. And so let me leave not pointing to Moses, but pointing you to Christ, who alone is able to save you from your sins. No Christ. No forgiveness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again we thank you for your word and the direction that we receive from your word. And pray, Father, that by your spirit you'll come and have dealings with us. We look at Moses and recognize that he was a sinner who needed a savior. We look at Moses and know that he speaks of one that would be spoken of later, meaning Jesus Christ. And how we pray that each one of us may know Christ to be our Lord and Savior. And if not, even today, today to know Him by coming to Him in faith and repentance. Father, we pray that each one of us might be prepared for death. And that comes only in knowing Christ and Christ alone. So Father, do a work in hearts and lives in that way which brings most glory to Your name. As we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.